What can you learn from a billionaire and his remarkable book? A whole heck of a lot. And you are about to find out. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the Mayor of Motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest today is known as a common sense billionaire and CEO of the Red Apple Group. He started from humble beginnings and founded the very successful supermarket chain, Gristides, which he expanded from a small grocery store into a sprawling empire. He has gone on to be wildly successful in other industries, including real estate, energy, sports, and media as the owner of WABC Radio in New York City. His new book, is titled, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. Warning, only read the book if you want to be wildly successful or curious how someone else becomes a billionaire. Let's dive right into this rags to riches story. Welcome to the Motivation Show, John Casamitidis. Well, thank you uh, very much for having me, and it's uh, very important. Uh, yesterday, a uh, couple of day, yesterday, a couple of days ago, I did a thing with Governor Pataki at the Union League Club, and it was the first time I've ever been interviewed by a governor. And it was a lot of fun. We had two hundred and forty people, and we talked about uh, New York City, New York State, the country. Of the world, we talked about uh, entrepreneurship and success. And there was a nine-year-old kid there. I think my wife said to me, "I think you made a difference in that kid's life." And you know, I'm also chairman of the Police Athletic League, and I've been working on it for forty years. And and Bob Morgenthau, I would say, he trained me. He talked to me for forty years. Former district attorney, right? Yes, the district attorney, how to make a difference in the kids' lives in the inner circle. You know, I grew up on 135th Street uh, in uh, Harlem, and I'm able to go to those PAL centers and look at those kids and say to them, well, I'm from here. I made it. And if you keep your nose clean, you can make it too. So writing the book has several directions. It has one uh, for my my family and my kids, uh, gives them an indication of where they came from. Two, for the things that I'm dedicated to, like the kids of our inner city. And if we can help make a difference in a few lives, then it's all worth uh, doing. And I admire that because so many people uh, are successful and they don't give back to the community. And you're a relatable guy because you grew up there in West Harlem from very humble beginnings, rags to riches, as your book says. And here you are, you know, you understand the meaning of uh, contribution. You understand the meaning of community and helping a nine-year-old's got to feel as good as maybe making a billion dollars. No, John? Well, it makes you, you know, you go home and it makes your heart feel good yep. that you, you've done your duty to God in your country. And helping kids to me is very important because our country's future, our city's future is based on those kids and making sure they grow up right. Uh, that's why I'm a big supporter uh, of certain things when it comes to kids. I was, you know, with the Police Athletic League, 
I was against boxing because people were just making money on boxing and didn't care about the kids. And you know what happens? Mm, yeah. If you hit if you hit your the kids' brains, they're in formation from the age of 10 or 12 to the ages of 22, 23. And if you hit these kids in, in the head enough times, they can lose up to 15% of their IQ. So you may think you're doing good for the kids who are teaching them how to box, but guess what? If they lose 15% of their IQ, you, you're ruining them for life, the entire life. And the other thing I'm very particular on, you know, with marijuana. It's kids, everywhere in New York these days, no? <laughs> yes, but kids between the ages of 10 and 25 talk to your neurologist. If you get these kids hooked on it or, or, or on it, guess what? It ruins another 15% of their intelligence. And you're ruining it for life. Marijuana, if you're 50, 60, 70 years old, you want to smoke and smoke all you want. <laughs> because, you know, you want to be a, you know, but but the kids, I think oh, the kids deserve a future and you can't turn them into dumb heads. I can't agree with you more. And those are good lessons. Uh, tell us what life was like growing up in West Harlem, John. Well, it was a mixed community. I was in West Harlem by City College. I went to PS 192 and we had Irish. We had uh, Hispanics, Dominicans, uh, Blacks. Uh, we had almost every, Italians, Greeks. We had almost everybody. And we all played together. We all had a good time together. There was no such thing as prejudice. And there was no such thing as crime. A true melting pot. Yeah, I like that. It's a great melting pot. You know where the crime came from? Where? You know, I grew up in that area in the 1950s and 1960s. Zero crime, very little crime. We're not afraid to do anything. It came after Vietnam, where we sent our soldiers to Vietnam, made a lot of them into dope addicts, and they come back, and that's where the problem began. That's where the problem began in Harlem. That's where West Harlem, East Harlem, and it's not just the 50,000 uh, soldiers we lost in Vietnam is how many we lost mentally. Good point. And we don't have enough resources, unfortunately, to have taken care of them. We should have focused more, right? Yes. Just coming back from the war. So uh, what inspired you to write this book? I mean, you've done, seemed like everything on this planet. You've got so many diverse businesses. And what are the main takeaways that you wish for our audience to learn from reading it? Like I said, I wanted my kids and grandkids someday to know where they came from and to have, we're all, we're American. But I want them to have respect for their forefathers. Because if you don't have respect for your forefathers, then we don't have anything. So that was one aspect. The other aspect is to help make a difference in young kids. You know who's buying this book? A lot of grandfathers, a lot of grandmothers for their grandkids, a lot of fathers, mothers for their kids. And we're hoping that It'll make a difference in, in these kids' lives. And that was very important to me. Is, uh, someday, where if I have grandkids, and that they know where their origins are, are from. I remember before my dad passed away that we sat down and we wrote everything down from the 1860s about his great-grandfather, about his grandfather. 
So it makes a difference. I did a, we did a DNA test. I'm 28% Italian, 60% Macedonian Greek, 6% Jewish. And uh, I guess the rest of it is whatever it is, Middle East or whatever that area is around. No wonder why you love everybody. You're a little bit of everybody. A little bit of everybody. By the way, the definition of my uh, 6% Jewish is either one of my great-grandmothers or great-grandfathers was Jewish. So that's the definition of that. That's 6%. That's what 6% means. Fascinating. So, John, you know, what do you believe are your secrets or maybe, you know, even not so secret principles that have enabled you to build not only a successful business empire, but as your book alludes to, you know, a very successful personal life as well. Well, my parents taught me, A, never do anything to shame the family name, regardless. Uh, B, when my father came over, his two brothers, by the way, my two grandfathers came from the other side in 1913. And uh, one of them died in the pandemic of 1918. My father's two brothers came over in the 30s. And when my father finally came over in 1949, after I was six months old, his two brothers had to sign on a dotted line that if he couldn't pay the rent, they would have to pay it. So my father worked two jobs in order to not have to go to his brothers or not to shame himself on asking his two brothers. So my father worked, my father, and uh, the other day I drove by it. He worked at Longchamp's restaurants at 42nd Street and Lexington Avenue. And every time- Horn and Hard Out, I think, right? (laughs) No, no, it was the the corner. The corner was Longchamp's and a few stores in was Horn and Hard Out where I used to go and buy a peanut butter sandwich and- and, uh, and a Coke for for 25 cents between the two of them. But every time I drive by 42nd and Lex, I have a tear in my eye. But he worked Monday through Friday as a busboy. And the reason he worked as a busboy is he didn't speak English properly. You know, it was a high-end high, high uh, end restaurant. But on Saturdays and Sundays, because he spoke fluent Italian, he would go to Astoria and Long Island City, work in the Italian restaurants as a waiter. And earn a few extra dollars. That's uh, that's common work ethic, which you know people ask me all the time. You know, what are the secrets to success? It's like you know, don't be afraid to put some elbow grease to it, and don't be too humble to think that you know you can't start as a busboy. So yeah. that's a great lesson, right? You take what you can get, and you do the best that you can at it. And you know, if, if you're a busboy, you become the best busboy on the planet, right, John? Absolutely, I love and, that. Yeah. When my father retired, by the way, the, the interesting story. Uh, his boss at Longchamps was a guy named Jane Mitchell, and he wrote a book. I remember my father bringing it home, and he had like 25 or 30 Longchamps restaurants, and he owned, also owned Luchaps. And Which was on 14th Street, right? Famous restaurant yeah, there. I, yep. I remember when uh, I saw him once in front of in uh, Sag Harbor, in front of the American restaurant there, and I shook his hand. I say, I'm glad to see you. He was about 98 years old. And I said, do you know who I am? And he didn't say anything. And I started to walk away and he said, Katsimatidis. I got one other interesting story. Jan Mitchell, the son of a busboy. When I moved into Fifth Avenue, I moved into Jan Mitchell's apartment on Fifth Avenue. And when I met his two sons at Rabbi Schneier's dinner, 
they wanted to come back and see the the bedrooms that he they grew up in. So the son of a busboy got to move to Fifth Avenue to the boss's apartment. It goes one step further. That same building. Ready for this? Sitting Go down? Ahead. Yep. That Nixon was not allowed to go into. Oh, wow. And then my daughter marries Richard Nixon's, President Nixon's grandson, and he moved in. <laughs> Full circle. So interesting stories, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in your book, you know, you uh, have as part of your subtitle, uh, The Idea of Common Sense. What is your idea of common sense that you allude to in the subtitle of your book? Well, the, the common sense is what the, people look at things and and how to do the right thing. It's not about being a Democrat, not about being a Republican. It's about doing the Which right thing. Which you've been thing. both, right? Well, I was a Bill Clinton uh, uh, Democrat. I ran Bill Clinton's campaigns in New York area for, for quite a few years. And, you know, I started as a Democrat. Uh, you know, I, I ran... When I was 14 years old, William Fitz Ryan's, Congressman William Fitz Ryan's campaign on the West Side, I was 14 years old. And when I was 17, he gave me the nomination, congressional nomination to West Point, but I didn't go there. And then uh, I helped run Jerry Nadler's campaign for borough president against David Dinkins. And that goes into another funny story later on. Mayor David Dinkins, uh, yep. But then my, my since my daughter married a Republican and uh, we wanted to have peace around the Thanksgiving Day table, uh, <laughs> when I ran for mayor, I ran as a Republican liberal. Very interesting. <laughs> well, I like your idea that in the book you talk about the fact that, you know, it's not so much Republican or Democrat. It's that we got to get along and we got to talk to each other and we got to communicate. That's common sense. And I, I, you know, I always talk about Luke Gingrich. And Bill Clinton, that they didn't like each other, but they sat down and they worked it out. And the deficit came down from five and a half trillion down to five trillion, something that never happened before. And they worked it out as Americans, not as Democrats and Republicans. And Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan were famous for that, too. Yeah, it wouldn't be a better world if we can all just get down and sit down at that table, <laughs> regardless yeah. of which sides of the fence that we're on. So, John, you know, there's this incredible quote in your book that, was your public school's slogan. And I'm a motivational guy. I love it. It says, never let it rest until our good gets better and our better gets best. What does that mean to you? And how have you applied this lesson? Well, on page 255 of my book, and you can buy my book in Amazon. You can buy my book in Barnes and Noble. And me and Len Riggio, who built Barnes & Noble, uh, we uh, we went both went to Brooklyn Tech High School. And we were the first ones to start a, a $10 million campaign for a public high school. We raised $10 million for Brooklyn Tech High School. And you could also buy it on WABCradio.com. And if you buy it on WABCradio.com, I autograph all the copies that are bought through there. I've got one of those autographed copies, and, and I'm urging people. <laughs> you know, something about an autographed copy, John, that actually— uh, It's worth of, twice as much as what, well, what the price was. I agree. But not only that, you know, it sort of kicks in what I call like a law of attraction. You know, it's like you're kind of more vested into the book. Somebody signed it for you, and it kind of rubs off on you. I really believe on in that, you know. So to me, it's like it's uh, – for me, uh, the, the autographed copies are the ones that I cherish most. 
So I, the fact that you even allow that or even have that on your website is very unusual. Yes, I somebody we you know the the autographed copies are going for fifty dollars on eBay. <laughs> so somebody's making a profit. <laughs> and yours are what, like thirty bucks, right? Yeah, it was 25, yeah, 30. 20, I don't 30. know what Amazon sells it yeah, for you. That's a good deal. So in the book, you also talk about that you were insecure in public school. Hard to believe that John Casamitidis was insecure. <laughs> insecure. Well, the name like Casamitidis, there was not many <laughs> Casamitidis is around. Yeah. You know, uh, people are uh, uh, were always cutting the name short. Like, there's no such thing as a Pappas. It used to be a bigger, longer name. So the, all the big, long names cut it down to Pappas. And we never cut down our name. Wasn't going to be John Katz, huh? Well, when I ran for mayor, it was Katz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was easier to yell out, Katz, Katz, Katz. And I remember one time I was going, I was in, in Queens, and our team was yelling, Katz, Katz, Katz. And on the other side, coming the other way, was Melinda Katz, that was uh, quasi-married to Curtis Lewa, yelling, Katz, Katz, Katz. And we <laughs> intersected each other. <laughs> so, John, you know, what role does collaborating with others play in your life? And do you have like a prime example that comes to mind of a particularly mutually successful collaboration that stands out to you? Well, we collab- I-, I believe in communications. I believe in talking. And uh, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, I believe everybody, they should all sit down together. And we work uh, very closely with other radio stations. We're syndicated in over 250 stations around the country. And uh, our uh, stream is can be heard in 50 states, 173 countries. It was 172. But when my nanny retired and went to the Philippines, she couldn't get our signal. So we made now it's 173. <laughs> That's a big, big addition. <laughs> She's got to listen for sure. <laughs> so, uh, can you tell us about what is the uh, sink or swim theory you uh, learned from your cousin in Greece when you visited there after coming to America and going back to the island that you were born in? Oh, and uh, you know, I I didn't know how to swim. You know, forget <laughs> about it. I'm the kid from Harlem. We didn't have any swimming pools or or go to the beach as much. So we were on, a, on the dock on the island I was born with, and we went there for to spend two weeks. And my cousin taught me how to swim, threw me off the pier. <laughs> That'll get you to swim quick. Well, what was the old expression? Swim, sink, sink or swim. Or, sink or swim. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, Eli, I enjoy talking to you. and look forward to talking to you more. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, if there's anything else you uh, want to add and let people know about besides your book? Well, uh, I, I think we could do a follow-up on this, and uh, we'll talk some more. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. You've been a pleasure to speak to. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, Email the motivation show at gmail.com. That's the motivation show at gmail.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.